Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Tim, and uh, it's great to have you here with us today. We've been looking in a series of lessons here on followers, and we've been calling it the 12. And man, I've really enjoyed going through these uh, with all of you. And uh, next uh, week, Gary will be up here talking about Simon the Zealot. And then Father's Day, we're going to look at the fathers, the dads of the 12. We're going to look at Jonah, Alpheus, and Zebedee. That's going to be an interesting, interesting sermon. And uh, I hope you'll, you'll, you'll join us uh, during those next couple of weeks. Today I want to talk about Peter. I mean, of all the people, there's more information about Peter than any of the twelve. And we know that Peter, uh, we probably think of Peter when we think of him, oh, he walked on the water, but then he sank. Or, or he said some really cool stuff, but then he stuck his foot in his mouth. It tends, it just seems to me that uh, when we think of Peter, we think of mistakes, uh, especially a huge mistake. Well, let me give you some things to think about here as we get into this lesson. Uh, what do we know about Peter? Well, first, he's a pro- he was prominent among the twelve. The Bible always lists him first, and it's from. Uh, by the way, it says when they list the twelve, it'll say things like, "Well, first there was Peter," and that word, by the way. As protos is the Greek word, which simply means chief or listed first. He was kind of a spokesman. In Acts chapter 2, you see him stand up. He stands up among the twelve and he preaches uh, the, the very first gospel in Jerusalem. Besides being a fisherman, we know that also, we also know this about Peter, that he was married. The third thing we know is he was a Galilean. Well, what's that mean? Well, what it means is, is that He's a, he has a particular area that had a particular reputation of uh, the way they conducted themselves or a person conducted themselves. Josephus, for example, he's a Jewish historian, said this about Galileans. They're never short of courage. They're very bold and very brave. The Talmud would say this about Galileans. They're quick-tempered, impulsive, emotional. They have a sense and a love for adventure. And they are very loyal people. You can count on them. Uh, here's another thing. And you look at Peter, by the way, that's what you, Peter was this, was a Galilean and he had all the marks of a Galilean. Here's a fourth thing about Peter. He was a very bold guy. Because he was a Galilean, of course he was very bold. He says some of the craziest stuff and some of the greatest stuff ever recorded in scripture. And he'll say things like, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Peter, that's a pretty good answer. Hey, if you're Jesus, then tell me to come out on the water. Come on out. But also, Peter also said some things that weren't quite as, they were kind of discouraging. Sometimes you'd say kind of a whiny kind of guy. We have fished here all night and haven't caught a thing. Or he would rebuke Jesus. The Bible says he rebuked Jesus. Can you imagine somebody had the nerve to rebuke Jesus? This is how bold and body this man is. This will never happen to you. And of course, Jesus follows with, Get behind me, Satan, because you have in your head the things of man, not the things of God. I'm sure that built his confidence. He would say things. He would make these great boasts. He'd say things like, you know, everybody else is going to leave you. He'd look at the rest of them. But I won't. I'll die with you. And Jesus would say, oh, you'll, you're going to deny me before before the morning. He goes, oh, I'll, that'll never happen, Lord. Boy, did he eat those words. And at the same time, Peter would publicly say in front of a crowd after all was over, after the resurrection, he would tell a crowd, you killed Jesus Christ. 
And they would go, what do we do? You need to repent and be baptized. Every one of you. So receive, he's a very bold man. And another thing about Peter is he was far from perfect. That's probably the part I can identify with. Not only is he bold and he says silly things or says some pretty, some pretty crazy things, which I can do. I have to admit that. He's far from perfect. I don't know how often you're reminded of your lack of perfection. I'm, I'm reminded all the time. In fact, behind the partition, I'm going, oh, God, forgive me. I just blow it so many times. And so I think that's one of the things we, I'm glad that's in the Scriptures. At least I know someone else screws up. And it was one of the twelve. Wow, that's that's nice to know. I'm sure Peter goes, well, thanks, Tim. I hope I mean more to you than that. <laughs> well, yeah, he does, but it's reassuring. So what can I learn from Peter? And because there's so much information, there's a lot of information, I had to be choosy and I chose three things that I believe I learned from Peter and I want to pass them on to you. First, no matter who I am, Jesus has a vision for my life. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what's your past, well, how checkered it is, how many skeletons you've got in the closet, Jesus has a vision for you. He has a plan for you. You know, the very first words Jesus says to Peter is, we're going to change your name. That's the first thing he says. Not hi, how you doing? We're changing your name. Look at this passage here in John 1. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. Now, Cephas means Peter. Why the change? Why, why does Jesus say this right off the bat? He wants Peter to know. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to transform you. A lot of people, when you get a nickname or you get a certain name, it's based on something you've already done or earned, based on a behavior, maybe a physical trait you already have. When Jesus says, well, we're going to change that. See, God's used to changing names. He changed Abram to Abraham. You know, one being an exalted father to, you're going to be the father of many nations. We're going to improve that. He changed Sarai's name to Sarah. Oh, you're not just a princess. You're going to be my princess and the mother of many nations. Jacob, he would change Jacob's name. Jacob was kind of a conniver, if you might want to say. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. You know what I'm saying? Real sneaky guy. He says, we're going to change that to Israel, which means you're going to wrestle with me and prevail. And you you look at the life of Israel... And the whole nation. And didn't they just wrestle with God the whole time? They were constantly, constantly wrestling with God. And so this idea of changing Peter's name, he's saying, listen, this is your, your name, your Simon, which means dove. But I'm changing it to Peter, means rock. Is he a rock? No, not yet. He's more like a dove. And so he's changing his name because he's focusing on what's ahead of him. Not the past. You still have your childhood name? I was called Mouse. I wonder why. My ears stuck out. Uh, you know, you get older, they get bigger. Uh, uh, another, I was called Skis because I had long, skinny feet. I was called Dagon Timmy. What's Dagon Timmy? I'd always say Dagon it. Dagon Timmy. Mike Potter gave me that name. 
And then I was called Pimwe, Boy of Rainforest. That's my Gmail handle. Pimwe, Boy of Rainforest. Ah. Some of these names have not stuck with me. Thank you for not calling me Pimwe or Dagon Timmy anymore. But, um, you know, some names just stick. And Simon, well, that was a given name and it was with him for years. But Jesus says, we're going to change that. It's important for you and I to understand something here. That you and I, like Peter, are not defined by our past. You're not even defined by how you are now. You know who defines you and me? Not our friends, not our family, although they try. Our enemies, our critics will even define us. Have you ever been called some names? I have. Yeah. But thank God Jesus is the one who's the key to definition. He, he is the one who defines you and I who we really are. And praise God for that. And when he says to, to Simon, I'm going to call you Peter, he's saying, I'm changing who you are. You're going to be who I really made you to be. Not just a dove, but more than a dove. Something solid. Look what it says here in Matthew 16. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get the answer out of books or out of teachers. Peter had just said, you're the Christ. He says, you didn't get that answer. You got that from my Father in heaven. God himself let you in on this secret and who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church. So Peter's a diamond in the rough and has no idea that he's this this valuable, useful person to Jesus Christ. I want to just impress upon you this thought. If you ever wonder, you are so valuable to Jesus and you are so valuable to Jesus. You, He wants to use you. He wants to use you. You have his attention. Peter would later say it like this. He caught that, see. And look what he said. He said, the Lord Jesus is the living stone. The people of the world decided they did not want this stone. But he is the one God chose as one of great value. Would you disagree with that statement? No. Jesus, of course, is only son. Valued, highly valued, a living stone. Then he says, so you come to him, follow him. You also are like living stones. Does that mean I'm also valuable? Does that mean you're valuable? If you're following Jesus, if you've come to Jesus, are you valuable and chosen by God? Absolutely. And God is using you to build a spiritual house. See, God's plan and his vision for you and I is to, and as followers is to be that living stone that builds something wonderful, a home, a spiritual house for people on this earth. You know, most church buildings, you got to admit they're fancy. There's some fancy ones out there, pretty ones out there. There's some real pretty buildings out there. I drive by and go, wow, they sure spent a bunch of money on that building. And, oh, look how beautiful it is. I was part of a, a church, a youth minister in a little country church in the middle of nowhere. It was called Eureka Church of Christ. You know what Eureka stands for. I just found it. And that's where our building was in the middle of nowhere. And when people would get to it, they go, oh, there it is. Eureka. Oh, I get it. 
Little old country church. The floor was all shaky. It had been built maybe in the 20s or 30s. I mean, if you tried to play a record uh, during a wedding and somebody dropped a songbook, the record would skip. And if you, and, and sometimes a church would be romping. Maybe they'd be stomping their feet. You know, we got carpeted dead. We had a wooden floor. <laughs> Sound like we're marching and the building would be doing, you know, the floor would be doing this. I'm thinking, goodness gracious, this is, it's awesome. It's an old beat up building. The, the basement leaked. We had a dehumidifier. My job as a youth minister in my job description was to empty that dehumidifier. I forgot one day and got rebuked by the elders. And so we decided we outgrew the building. We decided we were going to build a new one. We're going to build a $250,000 church building. And we decided, where are we going to build it? And we voted. And most of the votes went, let's build it up next to the highway so people can find it. Not out in the middle of nowhere. Well, the eldership went against the vote. And we built it right next to the old building that's surrounded by a cemetery. This thing has plush carpeting, nice pews, windows, stained glass. I had my very own office with a real desk and a, an outlet. I could actually plug in something. And I remember going around talking to the community. And, you know, back in, back when I was in the old building, everybody, the, the fanciest we got was overalls. You know, cover, you know, overalls, farming overalls. That's what we wore. I came in a three-piece suit and they said, oh, no, 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 no. Go back and change. Get your blue jeans and a flannel shirt on because that ain't going to wash here. So I would come back and that's how we dressed. And when we got in the new building, I'd go around visiting everybody. Oh, I'm not coming to your church. You know why? It's too fancy. You've got to be, you got to have it all together. Let me tell you something, church. Nobody gets that impression with our building. Are you following me? Got cracks in the concrete, mold growing outside. The, the, the plants look like they need to be took care of. We have, we have, uh, stains on the carpet. There's a stain right there. I'm not kidding you. There's a stain right there. Who's drinking coffee up here? We have sound systems that have glitches. We have light bulbs that are out. Oh no! But, you know, that's exactly I'll tell you what, people can't drive by and say, oh, they're too fancy for me. Maybe weird, but not fancy. No, listen, our church, our church building reflects us so well. And the spiritual house that God calls you and I to build together needs to be a place where anybody that sees us goes, I could fit there. I could, I could, I could make it there. See, no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God wants to use you to build a special home for people. That's the thing I notice. That's the first thing I notice. Number two, following Jesus calls me to a lifetime of learning. Here's a passage up on the screen out of Job. Elihu is a young man and he's speaking to Job and his four older friends. It says this, It's God's Spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty One, that makes wise human insight possible. The experts have no corner on wisdom. Getting old doesn't guarantee good sense. You agree with that? I've met a lot of old fools. I've met, by the way, 
I have been an old fool from time to time. I find out I don't, I'm always having to learn something. I don't know everything. And yet following Jesus, it, where does wisdom come from? It comes from the lips of God. It comes from the Spirit of God. Jesus would say it this way, follow my teachings and learn from me. So when I follow, I'm going to be a learner. See, what's a word for a follower? Another word, disciple, which means what? Student. So what's discipleship mean? It's that process that a student goes through to learning. Let me ask you a question. It's up on your notes there. Uh, you know, what are you currently learning from Jesus? What am I currently learning? Really learning. Because folks, I'll tell you why. A lot of us, it's so tempting to stop learning. I remember when I got out of high school and I got, I got the paper. I got, I got, I got, and, and I got the handshake and the congratulations. I thought my learning days were over. Oh my goodness. Then I go to preacher school and I go through that. Wow, there's a lot there. I get through that. They give me a diploma. I get my handshakes. I'm done. I go to tool and die school. Learn how to be a tool and die maker. Four years. Oh, I hate, I hated math. And I had four years of algebra, three years of trig, or two years of uh, geometry and two years of trigonometry. Why? Got my certificate. I'm done, right? No. Got a marriage certificate. I keep getting these certificates. They don't mean anything. There's more to learn, isn't there? So much more to learn. So much more to learn. And the thing is, I've, here's what I've learned about me, okay? Maybe, it, maybe it's true about you, but I know it's true about me. When I stop learning, that's when I've stopped following. When I, when I cease to learn as I have stopped following Jesus, because it's all the time. It's, it's a lifetime. And like Peter, you and I are a work in progress. And we're committing ourselves as a follower to that process of learning more and more. There's so many verses we could go to. We can't even get there. Can't even do it this morning. You know, Peter is constantly learning about himself and about God. At the same time. I mean, and like I say, and even after Jesus left and he ascends and Peter sees him, waves goodbye. He's told before he leaves, by the way, I want you to go to Jerusalem and you're going to wait for the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. There's more to learn. And so he gets there. And they, and, and they, and Acts 2, they, he gets the Holy Spirit, and you think, oh, now he's done. I've got it, Lord. No. In Acts 10, he finds out he's a very bigoted, prejudiced person. He has to learn, he has to learn that the gospel is for everyone. And then you go into Galatians 2, and the Apostle Paul, who's a latecomer of the 12, you know, he's a guy that he calls himself abnormally born, is rebuking Peter. What are you doing? You're passing on Jewish traditions and laws to the Gentiles. That's the... Stop that. Peter's still learning. You still learning? If you're following, you are. See, Peter did not know everything, and neither do I, and neither do you. And we're called, see... 
to follow. And by doing that, that's when we start learning. Learning more. Learning some real good things. Look what Peter would say here later in life in 1 Peter 2. These things are all part of the Christian life to which you have been called. Christ suffered for us. This shows us we are to follow in His steps. Later in life, he goes, you know, there's steps have been marked out for me. Like the Hebrew writer, a race marked out for me. It's with the steps of Jesus. And so I'm following Jesus and I'm learning with each step. I don't know if any of you, I know some of you are deer hunters. Paul knows what I'm, go- knows what I'm going to talk about here. If you've, ever, if you've ever done any deer hunting, there's times you do a thing called still hunting. It's a strange thing. You get out of your tree stand and you, you're in a woods and there's trees everywhere. And they teach you, take one step. And look. Why? Because every step a different perspective. Just one step changes the perspective, changes your view. And that's it. That's how it is with Jesus. Sometimes it's taking one step. I know sometimes you hear preaching up here and you might think, man, Tim, you're just asking us to do too much. Well, just do one step. Just do one. And watch it change your perspective. Watch it reward you with spiritual perspective. I got bad news I got to share with you today. I got some bad news. Did you know you peak at the age of 20? By the way, I'm, I'm officially on Medicare. Did you know? Well, well, I am. At 20, they, the science is telling us at 20, you've peaked physically and peaked mentally. And after 20, you begin to slide. And I, I, and what I've noticed is, and nobody tells you this, Bob Hawkins did not tell me this, it's faster as you go. That's not encouraged. That's bad news. Let me give you the good news. Jesus disagrees with the science. Jesus says, you can learn. You can teach an old dog new tricks. You can learn. Don't let this challenge to learning intimidate you, push you around, you can still learn something and something great from Jesus Christ. All it takes is following. That's why Psalms 25 up here on the screen, this ought to be a prayer. Please pray this week. Ask God like David, who later in life would say these words, show me, He's he's over 20 years old when he says this, show me your paths and teach me to follow, Lord. That's a prayer God will answer. You want to know, I've always wanted to do a prayer series, Gary, on the prayers that God answers. I know that he said, well, he answers them all. Sometimes he says no. Well, this one he says yes. You pray, you ask God to show you and help you follow. He'll come through. He'll deliver. Number three, Jesus will help me bounce back after my blunders. Nobody bats perfectly. My grandchild right now, one of my grandchildren, is four for five at the plate. She struck out yesterday. I was shocked. Seven-year-old ought to be able to hit the ball every time. Maybe not. Nobody bats a thousand. Nobody's a perfect A. I know some of you A students, um, when you make a, a B... The world's coming to an end. 
I can, I can tell, I know how to handle that. I know how to handle C and D and F. We all, we all have this. And one of the great, one of the, listen, one of the great pieces of evidence of the integrity of the Bible is unlike any of the religious books that we have, the Bible doesn't cover up the flaws and weaknesses and sins of its characters. It just lays them out there. You know, if you want to look good, God, if you want to look good, you don't want to have all these losers. The bad news bears, basically, is what this group is. No, you want them all, you know, perfect, and they'd stick the landing every time and all this. Yeah, and guess what you'd have? You'd have 12 guys could never add anybody to it because nobody could even relate. It's interesting to me that, that John Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark. This guy had ties with Peter and with Paul. And one of the things when he's writing the book of Mark, uh, he starts off with the book of Mark saying he's going to give us some, some things about Jesus, everything about Jesus here. And he uses eyewitnesses. And one of the people that works closely with Mark is Peter. And it isn't, it isn't a surprise that Mark would record one of the greatest blunders in Peter's life. Look at Mark 14 here. Peter declared after Jesus said, you're all going to leave me, you're all going to scatter. He says, oh, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, You yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same thing. Yeah, we'll not do that. And what do we find out? We find out they all run. They all, they all hide. And Peter denies Christ. Up here on the screen, I don't, uh, look at this passage here in, in Mark 14. While Peter was below in the courtyard, he's in, the, in Caiaphas's courtyard. That's a special privilege to be in a high priest's courtyard, folks. He puts himself, by the way, some failures that we have, I found this interesting. Some of the failures that we experience can be because we put ourselves in some tough situations. And that's okay. At least you're trying. And Peter is in here in this courtyard and one of the servant girls of the high priest came by and when she says he saw Peter warming himself, she looked close at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. He said and went out into the entryway. He's he's there and, and he, he moves on. He goes, goes somewhere else, goes by the door, getting ready to bail. When the servant girl saw him there, he said again, to those standing around. This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing near Peter said, Surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. Well, was it his accent? Was it his dress? Was it they just knew he was one of the Galileans that would love to take over? He began to call down curses. Listen, he's confirming he's a Galilean now. He's calling down curses. You ever cussed? He's calling down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the words of Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. 
Peter, why are you airing your dirty laundry? Why would you tell Mark, write that down? I want that in there. I'll tell you what. Mark does not record this to give us some excuse for sin. No, he wants to give us some insight about the forgiveness of God. Some insight about how to handle sin. How to handle some mistakes. Again, look at this passage up on the screen. There's no room for the notes. Look at this in Mark 16. Now go and tell his his followers, a man dressed in whites at the tomb, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Salome, the mother of James and John, they're at the tomb. And this guy dressed in white says, he says, tell his followers and be sure to tell Peter. Tell them Jesus is going to Galilee and will be there before you come. You'll see him there as he told you before. The Living Bible says, go tell his disciples, including Peter. I like that. Including Peter. I want, especially Peter. I mean, they all ran. They all, they all deserted Jesus. Why single out Peter? Now we talked about this, I believe, uh, earlier in the series. Uh, can you imagine Peter hearing it? Hey, by the way, Jesus wanted us to know that he'll meet us over at, by the, in Galilee. And Peter, he wanted you especially to know. Huh? Oh, he wanted you to know. Yeah, the, the angel made it real clear, especially, he wanted to include you. Why would he do that? Why would he single out Peter? Well, there's a lot of speculation here. Is he discouraged? Absolutely. Discouraged, discouraged about his blunder? Yeah. You know, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a group of people and we've all made the same mistake, I, I gotta admit, it kinda helps take the edge off a little bit. Oh, well, you did it too. But when you start thinking about, I'll tell you what, I don't play your sin over in my head when I screw up. I'm probably like you. Don't we play it over in our head? Over and over and over. What I said, I can't believe I said that. What was I thinking? Oh, why did I do that? And we hear it again and again and again. And Peter is having, is, is hearing this, watching this, replaying this over and over in his mind. And Jesus wants him to know something about when he blows it. We see this account in detail in John 21. And what I'm doing here, because there's so much stuff here, I just want to read the passage and I'll do my best just to make a comment as we read through it. I've given you a place to write. Some of you love to take notes and I thought I'd give you some room. Sydney, I know you need room. Yeah, I know I need room. So I give you some place to write because we see how Jesus handles Peter and how Peter handles his blunder with Jesus. So let's just read a few things. Verse 1 says so much. Look at this. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to His disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. John says, this is the way it happened. I want you to see how this happened, how this came out. What happened? After. After what? After the resurrection. Keep going. After the crucifixion? Keep going. After the trial? Keep going. After the denial. Yeah, after all that. 
After all that, Jesus appears again. Aren't you glad? Jesus keeps coming. Coming to you. See, one of the things I notice here is Jesus never gives up on me. He appeared again to Peter. Verses 2-3, through three, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Here's what I notice: Giving in and going back to my old life doesn't solve anything. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go fishing. Well, we'll go too. How do we do? Zero. My old life accomplishes nothing. And that's why Jesus keeps coming back and sticking His nose in your business because He knows that old life will not get it done. He has a new life for you. You know, it goes on. Uh, uh, Mark says something about, this is not on the PowerPoint. Let me read these two verses, not on PowerPoint. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. Then verses 6 through 7 here up on the screen, he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, who's recording this. I want you to see how this happened said to Peter, It's the Lord! As soon as Simon heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. I don't know about you, but if you're going to go swimming, aren't you going the other way around? He puts on his clothes and he jumps into water. And by the way, he's swimming about a hundred yards. Peter's buff. He can handle it. He's he's so excited. He is swimming like gangbusters. Listen, listen to me. I got this. Whenever I blow it, I must hurry back to the Lord. He's the answer. See, this is the difference between Peter and Judas. We're going to look at Judas in a few weeks. How to avoid a spiritual meltdown. Judas is thinking of something else. Peter is thinking about his Lord. And whenever you blow it, all you've got to do is turn back to the Lord. Hurry back to the Lord. Best place you can go after you've blown it. Well, let's read on. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing a net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There was with fish on it and some bread. Who put, who turned on, who, who started this fire? What's going on here? Who's cooked this fish? Who's got this bread going? Oh, it's Jesus. He still wants to, He still wants to be with you. He still wants a relationship with you. He said, bring some, some of the fishes you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was the third time he appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you, Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Notice that Jesus calls him Simon. Now, there's two reasons Jesus is calling him Simon. That is his name, by the way. But he's calling him Simon because it is a personal name. It's a very personal name. But he's also reminding Peter, you still got some dove in you. You still got, you still got some stuff in you. Do you love me? And he says, of course I love you. Then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time. Third time? Third time. How many times does your wife have to remind you fellows to do something? Third time. Jesus is in the reminding business. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of... Why does he want to remind me? Why Why does he keep repeating himself? He wants me to know something. Simon, he doesn't want me to forget. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said, then feed my sheep. What's going on here? Why are you repeating that? Why do you keep saying that? Peter is, you know, what do I get out of this? Well, God's plan for me never changes. It never changes. He still wants me. And if he has to repeat, he has to say it to me over and over again because I keep saying to myself, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. He's saying, no, you're not, no, you're not, no, you're not. I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. You're my follower. You're my follower. You're my follower. The plan doesn't change because I messed up. You understand me, church? He still wants you. Jesus Christ still wants you and still wants to use you. There's a thing I also I noticed. I've got to be honest with myself. I've got to be open. Peter hears it. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Only you know the answer. He opens his heart. Only you know. And it's when I'm open with my sin, the more open I am, and I know it's a very personal thing. Sin's a very personal thing. But understand, church, when you get it out, it gets out. John said this later. If we'll confess our sin, he is faithful and will forgive us of our sin. I noticed something else in this little passage here of this repetitive thing, and it is that I need to reaffirm my love for Jesus over and over and over when I blow it. What do you think of that when it says there Peter was hurt? He's hurt. Was it Jesus rubbing it in? Is that what he's trying to do there? I want to tell you, I think, no, I don't think he's rubbing it in. Peter should be hurt. And you and I should be hurt when we deny Jesus. When we blow it. Sin hurts. Sin harms. 
So it shouldn't surprise me. Oh, I'm trying to get rid of this guilt. Well, yeah, go to Christ to get rid of it. But it's there for a reason. What's the Bible mean when it talks about godly sorrow? It's a pain inside. When I'm messed up, that helps me turn to Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes pain makes me change. Sometimes it takes something painful, right, to make us change our ways. And so when Peter is hurt, Jesus doesn't say, oh, wait a minute, let's take the boo-boo away. No, he's, he lets him hurt. He needs to think about what he's doing, what he's done. It'll help him. It'll help him in the future. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm in pain because I'm beating myself up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We beat ourselves up. When it's really, really what Jesus is saying, look, I don't, I don't want you to beat yourself up. I want to bring you back into what we're doing together. And I wonder sometimes if Jesus is trying to help Peter by having Peter hear himself. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I... Oh, I see what you're doing. Oh, what do you think I'm doing, Peter? You're shaming me. Really? You think that's all it's about? You don't think you ought to hear yourself? You're capable and able to love me and say you love me and back it up? I take what you just said seriously when you say you love me. And I wanted to hear it again. And I wanted to hear it a third time. And you need to hear yourself again and again and again. Not, I'm a lousy, no good. I'm a this, I'm a that. But I'm loved by God and I'm a follower of Jesus. And I do love Jesus. Of course I love Jesus. But I mess up. That's the tension. But I love Him. And sometimes we need to hear, I don't know about you, you ever get a song in your head? My brother does this to me all the time. Or on the phone. And he'll start singing Frank Sinatra. Oh, da, 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 da. And I, and, and, it, and he gets the words wrong. And I'm, it's stuck in my head. And we're talking a little bit. If we talk, sometimes we'll be on the phone an hour and we're talking and all of a sudden I'll go, oh, da, 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 da. And he starts laughing. I go, what's so funny? You're singing the song I sang. I knew you'd do it. It's in my head and I can't get it out. What do you do? I found a solution. You find another song. You see where I'm going with this? When you hear that song, you're a loser, you're a loser. Maybe I'll listen to Jesus. You're valuable. Wonderful. My follower. Uh, Anybody here at the age of 40, I would challenge you to start reading the book of Psalms. All those songs are midlife crisis songs. Really helped me. Really helped me. I see three things in David as he does the Psalms. He's, he's sad for a few songs. Then he's mad. And then he ends up being glad. You sing enough. You hear enough songs of the day, Alan. I've got to build your kingdom here. I got that in my head like I can't get it out. And every time I'll be working and all of a sudden there it is again. 
And I'm like, yes, yes, that's what I need to hear. Another song. I'll tell you something else I noticed in this little part of this passage. And I've already said it, but I'll say it again. I can be, I can be devoted to Jesus. You can be. If, if Peter couldn't have been devoted to Jesus, he wouldn't have bothered with him. Remember that. He bothers you because he still believes in you. He has, he is not an atheist of you. He actually believes in you. Let's read on. Very truly, I tell you, when you were young, he's talking about the past, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, future, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I always thought this passage just occurred to me. Someone will lead you where you don't want to go. Oh, that must be the Roman guards. Why can't it be Jesus Christ? I'm going to lead you where you don't want to go. So follow me. Oh, here I always thought it was these enemies, you know. No, come follow me. Come follow me in this. Follow my steps. They lead to a cross. They lead out of a tomb. They lead to the throne of God. Follow me. And there's a lot of uncomfortable moments in between all those stations. Let me tell you one last thing I noticed here in this passage. Whenever I screw up, whenever I blow it, just go back from where I failed and start following again. Jesus didn't say, well, let's go back and start at the beginning. He said, okay, Peter, follow me right now. We got more to go together, so follow me. The Bible says here, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and he said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if you want, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Man, John, what a dig. Follow me. Okay. What about him? You know what I noticed there? I haven't arrived. Paul even said, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I still got a little Simon in me that God's still got to work on. That means there are more blunders ahead, church. There's more blunders for you and more blunders for me. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't quit. Jesus, it all comes down to, you must follow me. Keep following. You discouraged? You messed up this week? I sure have. You messed up? You gonna quit? Who will you be more like, Peter or Judas? I want to encourage you to be like Peter. Learn from Peter. You know, every time Peter walked toward Jesus, he was just fine. Keep following Jesus. And he will give you victory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, we pray that, that we'll learn from Peter. Just a marvelous example of ourselves. That as we look at our blunders, Father, you forgive us. Please forgive us. We're thinking of a blunder this week.
You see it. We're confessing it to you right now, Father. And Father, forgive us. Help us follow. We pray in the one we follow, Jesus Christ. Amen.